0: Many of you know that I like learning about random things. Uh, one of the random things that I learned about a couple years ago was the Japanese art of kintsugi. How many of you are familiar with kintsugi? Yeah, Melinda, are you the one? Okay. We got Katie too. So kintsugi literally means golden enjoinery. Okay? So, uh, in this Japanese art, it's several hundred years old. The idea is that when something is broken, often with a Western mindset, an American mindset, we want everything to look polished. We want it to look perfect, just as it has always been. And so when something breaks, maybe a piece of pottery breaks, our goal is to restore it to exactly as it was before, to like get rid of those imperfections. In the Japanese art of kintsugi, which literally means golden enjoinery, they say that if, if brokenness is a part of this pottery story, it is a disservice to ignore that. It is a disservice. It is inappropriate even to, uh, to not bring that, that uh, brokenness, those cracks to light. And so rather than using like the clear super glue or the, the glue that, that starts one color, but then once it fuses, becomes clear and you can't see it, uh, what happens in kintsugi is there is a, uh, a, a glue or, or mixture that is mixed with golden flakes so that when the pottery is put back together, you can see all of the breaks. All of those breaks are part of this pottery's story. They are important to know as a piece of where this thing has been and how it has gotten. It's a beautiful thing, like it's beautiful artwork. There's obviously now um, people who break things simply so they can make it look like this. There's like a whole trend of breaking things so you can make kintsugi art. Um, It's beautiful pottery, but it's also like a beautiful metaphor for life, right? What if the cracks in our lives, what if the cracks in our artwork, in our pottery, in our faith can actually become highlights? So that is what this whole series about is about. That's what this whole beginning of the new year is about here at the Grove. As we start a new year, often people set resolutions. Has anybody set a resolution for themselves? I'm not a big resolution person. A couple of people have resolutions. Um, often there's the resolutions around like eating healthier or being more active. One of the other big resolutions that happens Every year is that people say, "I want to read the Bible more." If you if you do a Google search, you'll pretty quickly come up with hundreds of different options, uh, hundreds of different plans for you to read the Bible in one year, the entire Bible in one year. You know how thick the Bible is? It's like this thick, <laughs> and the pages are this thin. Thousands of pages, thousands upon thousands of verses, and like the the sen- I get the sentiment. The idea is that, while well, the Bible's good, and I guess reading the Bible is good. And so if I do it more, more often, but also if I do more of it, the result will be good. And yet, I think that that mentality, that, that thought process, is flawed for a couple reasons. First of all, it, it gets wrong what the Bible actually is. Uh, the Bible is, is not an encyclopedia, The Bible is not this thing that has all of this information that if you just get all of the information, you're going to have all of the right knowledge about faith and life. The Bible is not an encyclopedia. The Bible is not a manual. It's not like instructions where you you open it up and you try to figure out how to put a good life together. If you just follow A to B to C, then you're going to get this beautiful life, beautiful faith. The Bible is not a manual. It's also not a map. It's not giving us turn-by-turn guidance to get from one place to another without any issues. On top of that, the Bible is not meant, it was never meant to be read alone. That doesn't mean that you can't read it alone, but it was written down and assembled and shared to to be read and understood and discussed and processed within community alongside other people to try to figure out what to do with it. So, the Bible is not an encyclopedia, it's not a map, it's not a manual. The Bible is a collection, a, a library of books and stories written down thousands of years ago, over hundreds of years, by dozens of people that shows us what the life of faith looks like. And the life of faith, if we're honest, and often the Bible itself, is messy and full of cracks. Now there are people and there are even entire faith traditions that say that is a problem. And so what we need to do is we need to polish over those cracks. We need to make sure that people don't get eyes on those cracks because if they get eyes on those cracks then they're going to realize that this thing isn't as settled or as perfect as we hope it to be. What do you think I think? I think it is a gift that the life of faith and often the bible itself has cracks because what if those cracks can actually be highlights what if we are able to uh to read the bible to to process it in community alongside other people to see these stories of messy faith and say look at what can happen as a result of that brokenness as a result of those cracks as a result of those imperfections in faith and life so that's the that's the thing that we're going to be engaging with this month as a church asking what does the messiness of faith look like in the bible but also in our own lives and our own stories and in order to do that we are going to be looking at one chapter a single chapter in the book of hebrews uh hebrews is a book that appears in the new testament the second uh, chunk of our bible the newer part of our bible coming after the life of jesus and hebrews is a little bit of a weird book um we don't actually know who the author of hebrews is but we know a little bit about the historical situation the author of hebrews was writing to a a formerly jewish population that was now having second thoughts about this whole following jesus thing they had been Jewish, they had made these new commitments to following Jesus, and now as, as time passed, as things got difficult, they were having thoughts about potentially going back to the way that things were before. And so this letter to the Hebrews uh, it is like a call to say, listen, you do not want to go back. If you really want to go back, you do not fully understand who this Jesus is and what this Jesus has done. It is not about doing all these rituals. It's not about doing all these right things. It is about living in to the life of faith and to uh, trust in this specific person representing God. And it all kind of comes to a head in Hebrews 11 where the author shares these stories of heroes of faith and how it was not the, the special, amazing, polished things that they did that made them heroes, but them living into this messiness of faith and life life in the real world and so he goes through a a bunch of different names of different people that they would have been familiar with of different stories from their past from their scriptures and one of the uh, two of the people that they land on uh, one of the stories that they land on is the story of abraham and sarah you may or may not be familiar with abraham and sarah they are some of the bigger characters in the old testament but even if you are familiar with them let me give a little bit of a, a recitation of their story and hang with me for a second because it gets messy really fast okay so abraham or at that time his name was abram before he gets his name changed we're not going to get go into that abraham gets a call from god out of nowhere and says abraham i want you to move to this foreign country pick up everything you own pick up your entire life move to this place because i'm going to make this place yours and your families and your family's families and you're going to grow into this great nation that is going to be blessed to bless the world and he goes along with that he says all right well this is kind of weird but i'm going to go and do this thing he picks up everything and he moves to this this land which will become israel one problem He and his wife do not have any kids. They are unable to have any kids. They're supposed to grow this huge family, but they don't even have a single child yet. But they go along with it anyways. So they arrive in this land, and things go uh, sideways really quickly. There's a famine, and they go to Egypt to escape this famine, and when they get there, Abraham thinks it's a really good idea for them to get settled in, that in order to get settled in and to get on the good side of the Egyptians, he's going to offer his wife Sarah to Pharaoh to be pharaohs. Uh, Which is not great. Husbands out there, I would not encourage you to offer your wives to somebody else as a pawn to try to get something, right? Well, even Pharaoh, once he figures this out, is like, dude, this is not good. So Sarah gets returned, but the, like this is, this is a messy thing, right? So finally, things get settled. They then go back to home in what will become Israel. Things are still not going well for them. They're still not able to have a child. And so Sarah gets this idea. It, it was a common practice in the ancient world where in order to have a child, if she could not have a child, uh, it, was, it was a good idea to take one of their uh, slave women, have the slave sleep with her husband in order for her to have a child, and then the family would line would continue through them. Okay? So, so this is what she does. She brings in the slave whose name is Hagar. She has a child. Well, Sarah ends up not liking this very much. She doesn't really appreciate the result. She starts treating Hagar like trash. Not great. Uh, Abraham once he sees this is like yeah that's fine go ahead also not great and as a result of it God even says this isn't the result that I was talking about this action is like taking life into your own hands rather than having faith in the results also not great kind of messy right so here Abraham is finally 100 years old Sarah is 90 years old, and finally, they are able to have a child. And this child is going to be the one that kind of kicks off everything, that builds this great nation that they had been promised. Extremely messy, but they hang in there, and this is the story that Hebrews wants to tell. So this is Hebrews eleven eight 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he would later receive as an inheritance and he went out without understanding where he was going by faith he lived as a foreigner in the promised land as though it were a foreign country living in tents with isaac and jacob who were fellow heirs of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations whose architect and builder is god by faith even though sarah herself was barren and was too old he received the ability to procreate because he guided he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy so in fact children were fathered by one man and this one as good as dead like the number of stars in the sky and like the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore these all died in faith without receiving the things promised but they saw them in the distance and welcomed them and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on earth for those who speak in such a way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland in fact If they had been thinking of the land that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they aspire to a better land, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for God has prepared a city for them. So the author tells this story, retells this story that would have been very familiar to his readers, and it's almost as if he's saying, Remember Abraham and Sarah? Remember those fools? Remember those sinners? Remember how messy their story was? All of the things that they screwed up. Remember all of the ways that they they skirted faith and tried to take things into their own hands. Remember the ways that they used each other even as pawns in this game. Remember that. Even they even in their messiness, they were able to be used in such a way, they were able to draw out gold where there were just cracks. If Abraham and Sarah were able to do that, what then are you able to do? Maybe the cracks in your life and in your faith can actually be highlights. Another random thing that I've been learning about lately um, is the connection between neuroscience and spirituality. Uh, There's actually been recent studies done and research done showing the connection between a strong spirituality and and mental health. One of the leaders in this field is uh, Dr. Lisa Miller from Columbia University. And she recently came out with this book called The Awakened Brain. And she, she goes through all of this research that she's been, do- been doing over decades. One of the studies that she has done semi-recently was um, collecting a, a bunch of 19, uh, 18 to 25-year-olds, I think. And she asked them this question. She says, recount a time when you had a spiritual connection. She does not define what that spiritual connection looks like. She does not describe uh, who or what that spiritual connection is with, but says, recount a time when you had a spiritual connection. These people may be spiritual, they may have been religious, they may not be religious at all, but every single one of the people that she had in this study was able to recount a time when they felt a deep spiritual connection. Then what she did, after they were able to pinpoint that thing, was she recorded them telling that story, retelling that story of spiritual connection. Things were going really bad for me. Things were a complete mess. And then all of a sudden, in this moment, I had this deep spiritual connection to God or to nature or to the universe or to something. And then suddenly something changed or uh, enlightened or lifted me. And things were different. I was able to see things differently so they recount this story they tell it and it's recorded and then what she did was she put them in an mri machine and then replayed that story back to them to see what would happen in their brain as they were hearing that story of that deep spiritual connection and as they were telling their story as they reached that point of deep spiritual connection all of a sudden the mri shifted three, four different things happened. First of all, the area responsible for negative self-talk powers down. This spot where you're constantly stuck in your head and constantly thinking about all of the bad things about yourself or, or the world, when when you hear that or when these, these people in the study heard that deep spiritual connection, that story of deep spiritual connection, that part of the brain went, shoop, gone from the radar. Second thing, the areas that lead to feelings of bonding and connection both to the world and to individual people like bonding to a, a parent, those parts of the brain fired up. At the moment that they heard the retell- their own retelling of the story of spiritual connection. And then the last thing is that there's a shift from the brain from the uh, in the attention network to creative and more observant part of the brain. If they were So focused on this one thing, all of a sudden the attention network switches in their brain to the part of the brain that is open to experiencing new things. Why on earth should you care about this? Why on earth do I care about this? What this does and what this shows us is that your stories matter, our stories matter, they can change our brains. They can change the way we see our world. They can change those cracks into being seen as highlights. Maybe as you heard this story about Abraham and Sarah, you're like, that sounds familiar because it sounds a whole lot like me. Maybe you have had these these points in your life where you're like, I did this bad thing and it was not good. I have used people that I love, as pawns. I have this sin in my life that I seem to not be able to overcome. Let me encourage you that those things do not disqualify you from the grace of God. They do not disqualify us from the grace of God. You know what they do? They make you human. And they make you more receptive and more appreciative of the grace that we experience in our lives. They make it more tangible as we're able to see those cracks and highlight them instead. They make our story of repair even more beautiful. So as we wrap up today, I'm actually going to do a, and I'm going to try to do this every week throughout this series, a guided meditation meditation. So what that means is I'm going to ask you in your spot to close your eyes and to do something, to imagine something, and we'll see if we can kind of catalyze something to happen within your brain that would maybe show up on an MRI, but that hopefully you will ex- experience uh, as, as you're sitting in your chairs to be able to, like, put flesh and bone and, and make this tangible So, I'm going to have you close your eyes and I'm going to have you extend your hands in front of you, just like cupped, open hands. And what I want you to do is, I want you to imagine that there are shards of broken pottery in your hands. This is your life, folks. And I want you to feel those rough edges pressing into your fingertips and into your palms. Those are the rough edges of your life. Those are the cracks. Maybe you can think of specific things that are leaning in heavily to your palms. (laughs) Now what I want you to do is I want to imagine, I want you to imagine two people coming alongside of you sure how these people however you might one is a person that you love and you know loves you unconditionally and the other one I want you to picture as God as Jesus however you might imagine them coming alongside your other shoulder and looking at those broken pieces with you together might do to piece those things back together, not with superglue, but with gold. Imagine those fragments, those sharp pieces, those things that, that felt like they couldn't be dealt with suddenly coming back together, those cracks becoming highlights. prayer for us today for this year as we go out from here into our lives is that we can acknowledge those things we can acknowledge those rough edges those cracks we might be able to see them as highlights that we might know that we are loved that we are guided that we are never alone in this that we might acknowledge those messy stories and that we might tell them to